You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join us this week on Friday afternoon to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Zooming out on today's episode of Locked on Phoenix Suns, we are part of the Locked on Podcast Network and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns in the NBA at SB Nation and Dime Magazine. You can follow our show on Twitter at Locked on PHX Suns and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Today is a little bit of a mix-up show. I'm actually out of town as you're listening to this. I recorded it on Tuesday to get you ready for the weekend, give you some interviews to satiate your son's thirst. Hopefully, coming off of a big week, I will not be covering the Chicago Bulls game in this episode. Instead, I brought on one of my favorite guests to bring on, which is Dwayne Rankin, the beat writer over at Arizona Republic and AZ Central Sports for the Phoenix Suns. He's been on a few times this year, and I like to do it every so often just to get the 30,000-foot view, how how Dwayne is thinking about this team, his latest reporting. So we dig into his interview with James Jones, a two-parter that went up last week. We talk about some of the acquisitions that the Suns have and have not made and just what Dwayne is chewing on when it comes to this Suns team uh, down the stretch. So I don't want to waste any more time here. Listen to this interview, and we'll be back with another similar one tomorrow, so don't miss that either with Jackson Frank talking about how the Suns square up in the NBA, in the Western Conference, and get into some matchup nerdiness in that show as we again get toward the stretch run. So enjoy my conversation with Dwayne, and we will be back tomorrow with another part two of this Zoom Out series of Locked On Phoenix Suns. Joined now by Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic, Suns beat writer over there. Um, love to bring him on to do some big picture sort of state of the suns episodes. So hopefully we can get into a a few different topics here, Dwayne, but first, I mean, by the time folks are hearing this, it'll be about a week after the trade deadline, but I'm just curious what your uh, perspective on them not making a trade was. I mean, we, we heard very little about who they may have been interested in. I I'm not really sure they ever, sniffed around too much we've we've heard some buyout I, I kind of feel like that's not gonna materialize either with the lack of a roster spot but why do you think that they are content where they are right now well I mean for one the, the winning makes it you know sometimes winning well I'm sorry I mean put it this way winning can camouflage some things in terms of what you're looking at uh, with the team and you can think, okay, well, we'll 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 be able to adjust because we have this. Or if we play this kind of team, then then we can adjust that way. And so, you know, if you look at the Suns roster, I mean, the whole thing has been the, the, the backup big, which is what Damian Jones was supposed to be, but then he, that didn't obviously pan out because they let him go. So that's still an issue because they still, you know, Dario was really out of position playing that backup five. It works in some instances, but then some instances it doesn't. So, uh, you know, that that's that's one thing where I thought, well, they may do something. But well, ultimately, and then obviously backup point guard, you know, Cameron Payne is, he's solid. But, 
you know, there's another level that he probably needs to get to to really get this team to where they're, they're, they would like to really, really go. But, you know, I think I think a lot of it is, you know, why they didn't do anything because, I mean, chemistry was is important to them. It's important to their GM because you got to look at him and he was a chemistry guy, you know. So you got to look at his personality in terms of what he constructed and with the protocols and the way the season is and the injury possibilities, you know, if you bring somebody new in, okay, how does that affect the other, the rest of the rotation and the, and the bond and, and this and that, if, if you got a group of guys that believe that they're, you know, that they're, they're good where they're at, uh, then, you know, do you, do you wreck that up by bringing in somebody and then you got to figure out a way to fit them in and, not a lot of practice time. And then, you know, right now, let's just say they will lose a guy for a minute for protocol like they did with Cam Johnson, you know, having COVID. Well, they just adjusted within. If you bring somebody in, maybe that throws off things. And so you do you want to risk that possibility, even though it might make you a better team if you bring in a certain player, do you want to risk that? And I think they took all those things into account and probably felt like, you know, well, we're good where we are. Uh, you know, yeah. we're second in the West. Why, why shake it up? So uh, you got to remember that the year before, you know, Ubre and Javon was on the was on the block, the trade and talk, and, and this and that. They didn't do anything then. So it's almost like, hey, you know, they that that was a year I thought they were going they were going to swing something, and then they didn't. So then now, you know, then they go ahead and, they, you know, when you look at the way the team is playing, I can see why they didn't do it. But again, the backup big and the point guard is the two areas that are of concern and that not to address either one. Um, they have to believe that what they have is good enough. Yeah, I mean, um, we'll kind of see. I think pain to me is has been and still is the bigger wild card on this in this rotation. I mean, it's one of those things where at a certain point you maybe have to stop doubting him because he has played pretty well. He had a, a little bit of a down January, was dealing with some injuries, and then uh, this month he's eight points, four assists, um, like three to one, better than three to one assist to turnover ratio. He's making a bunch of threes. He's efficient. Um, you know, he doesn't change games, I wouldn't say, but he doesn't lose games. Right. So I think if he can just do that, they'll feel pretty comfortable. I would say, I mean, Monty has said that he, he obviously hasn't gone away from pain and, and he just needs the consistency more than anything out of him. But the guy that I'm actually more, uh, looking closer at as we get down the stretch here, because of how his season hasn't come together, maybe the way we all expected is um, it's Cam Johnson, who you just mentioned that they just had to live without for a while. Uh, you know, not not only the fact that he's recovering and returning from COVID, which he confirmed to us uh, early this week, but also his season in general hasn't been spectacular, right? So I'm curious how you're thinking about him. He's averaging six points per game in March. He hasn't played a ton of minutes since he came back and He's been relatively streaky over the course of the season, um, 35% on threes in January, 
then 37 last month, 39 this month. So that's trending where you want it to, but I don't think he's taken the step forward that you might want. So when you talk about the versatility and the, con- the continuity and all of that, I do think they're going to need him to be a big part of things come May in the playoffs if, if they're going to make the run that they want to make. How, how have you felt about his season? I just think that with, with Cam, it's more of you know, where do you, you know, where do you, where do you fit him in in terms of you brought in Crowder, which, you know, if you didn't bring in Crowder, Cam Johnson probably would be starting. Uh, so, you know, he started, then he didn't start, then he has COVID. So I think it's been an uneven season just based on the circumstances, but you can't, you know, he he's a guy that obviously, you know, last night it was it was well, last afternoon. It was a rough day for Cam Johnson. I mean, I'm just like I'm watching like, ugh. you know, he was 0 for six from three, didn't really do anything getting to the rim. The Charlotte uh, game, yeah. Like the Charlotte game, right? He didn't do anything getting to the rim, so it's like. That, that's a struggle. But then the game before, you know, he, he penetrated a little bit. Got other guy, you know, he had three assists, five rebounds, you know, seven points. So it's just like, I think I think the people may have thought he was going to be this explosion in terms of a, more of a score. But the way he's been utilized, you know, being asked to do other stuff, it, it's been an adjustment, okay, so before it was a hey, go out and just knock down threes. Now it's knock down threes, create a little bit, get on the glass. So, you know, the bubble, you know, made it okay. Well, he, he's capable of it. But again, that's an eight game block. Now you got to try to take that and then apply it with this new look that they, the new team they end up putting together. So I think it's him still trying to figure out his role. And I agree they're going to need him down the stretch. I mean, because he's a guy that tells space the floor. And if you, and, and so you need him to be, a, to be able to, to knock, down, knock down shots. And then, like I say, create a little bit. But just real quick on campaign, I, I don't doubt that he can play. What I'm saying is that if you're going to compete against what they're going to have to compete against, because you can see how Chris Paul's minutes Nomani's really managing minutes with Chris. So if that's what's going to happen, then Cam's role, campaign's role becomes bigger and bigger because now you're asking him to be out there with the first unit, to play with Devin. So, you know, that makes his role bigger. And then now he's got to be able to deliver. Now he, to, he doesn't have to be Chris Paul, but... He's got to be able to deliver in a lot of different areas. Getting other guys involved uh, is it's huge. And I don't know if he's doing that at the rate that you need him to do that at in order for this team to really go. I'm talking really competing the playoff. I'm not talking about getting the playoff. They'll get there. I'm talking about when you get in doing damage. And he's going to have to be, he's going to have to play at a higher level uh, for them to be able to do that. Yeah, going to be interesting to see where Chris's minutes end up in the playoffs. Um, I think that'll kind of dictate how much they'll need out of Cam. But, I mean, to your point, regardless, it's a lot easier to uh, keep Chris Paul fresh in Oklahoma City when his uh, guard, his backcourt mates are Shea Gilgis-Alexander right. and Dennis Schroeder than, than it is with basically just Payne who fills that role. It's 
it's a, a, a more of a challenge on Monty than it was on Billy Donovan last year, for sure. Or even you go further back and it's like, okay, well, give the ball to the MVP, James Harden. And right. that's pretty easy too. So yeah, it's been a while since he's been in this spot where he's the only guy on a team that does what he does. So we'll have to, yeah, like I said, I, I do think pain will remain like a uh, kind of a, a hinge of, of what this team does night to night. If, if he's on, they'll be pretty good. If, if he has a weak night, they're going to have to rely a lot on their stars. So he's kind of in the, in a unique position there, but I wanted to pivot to ask you about your uh, conversation with James Jones that went up last week or the week before and, and what you took away from that. We'll do that right after a quick break. Excited to tell you about a new podcast I think you all are going to love called Death at the Wing. It's a sports documentary podcast hosted by Adam McKay, the writer and director of The Big Short, Vice, and Anchorman. We all know that back in the 1980s in the NBA, players like Magic Johnson and Dr. J became household names, bringing a faster and flashier style of play that captivated TV audience and really propelled the league to the fame that we see it have now. But along the way to wealth and stardom, the excess of the 1980s took its toll on the next generation of basketball. And never in the history of any sport have we seen so many who are ready to become stars face tragic deaths in such a short time frame. McKay will be joined on the show by sports journalists and experts who lived through these moments in history to explore this overlooked phenomenon, as well as the web of social, political, and cultural forces at play. I'm sure we'll be getting a ton of Len Bias for those of you who are interested there. Um, the Suns have their own story here with Richard Dumas, right? It's it's uh, it's t- it's sure to be wide-ranging. It's sure to weave into a lot of different stories. And as Adam McKay always does, he's not just a comedian. If you've seen Vice or The Big Short, you know that this guy tends to see through these politicians and these social forces and whatever and get you the story, the real story, the funny story, the satire, uh, and and put it together in an interesting way. He's never done a podcast as far as I know, but I think this this should be right up his alley, a perfect match. So if you love The Last Dance or 30 for 30, I think you're going to love Death at the Wing. Search for Death at the Wing wherever you get your podcasts to start listening. All right, back here with Dwayne Rankin, the Suns beat writer over at the Arizona Republic at AZ Central. And you had a two-part interview with James Jones go up a couple weeks ago, Dwayne. And I mean, people can read that and they should, fans who have not already, but um, just as you kind of sit on that and and what you talked with James about, what is staying with you? What was the most interesting part of that chat? Just the fact that his, his, his mindset on, on trying to uh, get the team, make the team better. Uh, you know, that, that constant thought, that constant, you know, hour by hour, this is what I want to do. This is what I think needs to be done. Um, his relationship with, with Coach Williams, how those two are working together and trying to make this happen. Uh, the fact that DeAndre, what he is seeing, him as saying that basically DeAndre is, is being asked to do more than anyone else. It, it kind of was like, okay, wow, like it, that the, this burden, and some may call it a burden and some may just call it expectations, but uh, the, to be able to to basically say that we're asking him to do more than anyone else on the team, uh, that, that says a lot about what Aiden is being asked to do. And maybe that, you know, explains Aiden's, uh, you know, the numbers not being where people think they should be offensively because he's being asked to do more defensively. 
And then there's that adjustment of trying to figure out how do I, can I, you know, being able to do both. It just really, what that does is when you look at Aiden, it just makes you go, okay, it must, you know, you look, you, you look at the other guys that have been that offensive and defensive big man, it really makes you go, okay, well, those guys must be really, must have been really special to be able to, yeah. you know, be a dominant defensive player and yet be able to score, you know, 25, 26, however many points, uh, you know, a game. So th- th- those are the things that, that, that stuck out the relationship with coach Williams. Uh, then what he, what he's being asked of what's, what he's saying is being asked of Aiden and basically saying when Aiden plays well, you know, we're, we're, we're really, really difficult to beat. And then just his mindset, uh, you know, because he's, he's so low key, you, you know, you don't, necessarily understand, you know, you know, what's maybe burning within, but after that conversation, you know, I could really tell you, look, the, the guy is really uh, geared in trying to really make this happen. And, and so that, 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 that struck me the most out of anything else. Yeah. I want to start on Aiton and then, and then maybe get into the other parts. Um, but that was intriguing to me too. And it, it did, it had a similar effect on me, just how I try to view him. And honestly, I did a segment on the show a, a month or maybe more ago now too, after an interview that Jones gave the weekly one he does on, on uh, Arizona sports. Right. And he, he laid out sort of the, the parallel tracks that he watches with Aiton, the emotional and the physical. And he sort of said like, as long as the uh, emotional is where we want it, the effort level, the engagement, the commitment, then the physical stuff, A, it's probably just going to come naturally if, if you're playing that way. And B, it's less that we need to worry about because the guy is 6'11", the guy can jump out of the gym. Like that's not really what you're, what you're worried about, right? So, and then reading your interview, I thought, a lot of the same, which is that they're more concerned with can he can he handle and sit with and and master what they're asking him to do. They're not looking at, I think, like you said, a lot of the same things that maybe fans or awards voters or whatever are looking. They're you know they're not measuring his points per game. I I, I almost promise you that, right? So um, I, I do think that's maybe just the better lens through which to view it. Obviously, that other stuff needs to come in time, but it just made me think, too, like you look down the standings, like of the actual contenders, you know, Joel Embiid, you got Brooke Lopez, you have DeAndre Jordan, you have Gobert, Anthony Davis, Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, those, you know, those guys are not um, spring chickens, right? Those are vets. Most, most big men in the NBA these days are the kind of afterthought role players that are plug and play veterans. That's not how the Suns built this team. You know, it's probably more close to the Miami heat and when, what the, the kind of burden that, that Bam Adebayo has to shoulder. And it, you know, he gets a ton of praise for being able to handle that, but there's, it's rare to find a big man who is being asked to do that much right now. Right. A young right. one, at least. Yeah. 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 Cause you they're just, Hey, go catch a lob, you know, how you, you know, you know, catch and finish, you know, so so they're not, you know, they're not asked to to, to do all the stuff that Aiden is, is being asked to do, yet he's not asked to score twenty some odd points a game. So it's like, it's it's a weird thing where okay, he's asked to 
to do to, to, to handle the defensive duties. He's asked to constantly put pressure on the rim. He's asked to, uh, you know, finish around the basket. He, he's asked to handle Pass the ball. Right, right. So, he, so he's being asked to do this stuff, but it's not go down there and go get me, uh, you know, 22 and, and, and 12 a night. So it's it, it's a weird thing where, you know, it, it puts your mind in the thought of, okay, you do view him a little differently now. Uh, but again, you know, the, you know, the game against Charlotte, you know, he starts off, you know, hot. You're like, oh, okay. You know, he could have one of these, you know, big games. And then you're like, where'd he go? You know, like, like how do he go from 10 points in the first quarter to four for the last three? Like, it just, yeah. that that's the mystery with him. And it's going to remain that until he either uh, reaches a level where he's just, you know, putting up, maybe putting up better offensive numbers. Because that is where you look at a game when, say, maybe Chris doesn't have it going or Devin doesn't have it going. You know, Devin taking 26 shots against Charlotte. Well, maybe some of those shots should be going to Aiden, particularly when Aiden starts off the way he did. So how are they managing this? And a young guy who believes, you know, in his heart of heart that I could be this person, but they want me to be this person. So it's, it's, it's a lot with him that, again, you and I discussed before, makes him as fascinating as a player as, that, that, that I've seen in a long time when it comes to being a top overall pick in a franchise. Yeah, and, and that's why the postseason is going to be so uh, intriguing with him because, like, I mean – there's just not many young big men who have that much on them and that are going to be in the playoffs. It's just not how most teams are built. It's not something most teams are comfortable with. It's bam. It's maybe Zubats out in, in LA with the Clippers, you know, but he's not really the, the type of, he doesn't have the type of role that Aiton has. So it's, it's, I think an under the radar part of this thing, because it's so easy to focus on, you know, what, it, what makes him so peculiar and, and fascinating. And then obviously the stars ahead of him who get a lot of the shine, but uh, he's going to have to do a lot. He's going to have to show up every night in the playoffs, I think, for them to, again, make that run uh, kind of along the lines of the guys we talked about in the last segment. But I wanted to, since we are going a little big picture here, talk about that relationship you mentioned between Monty and James. And just now that we're a couple of years into this this brain trust, uh, how you kind of see it and and how it functions and give fans a little bit of insight into that. We'll do that right after another quick break. Today's show also sponsored by Bet Online, the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. The tournaments are wrapping up. Make your final four bets now and make sure you get in on MLB futures, awards, divisions, World Series champions. Bet against the Dodgers at your own risk. Um, get into the Masters, the NHL, and the NBA playoffs right around the corner. Tons of stuff going on. And betonline.ag has you covered with updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. So go to BetOnline. It's free to sign up. Best way to place your bet. And best of all, you get a 50% welcome bonus when you use our promo code. So what you're going to do is, again, head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device, make an account, and use the promo code Locked On when you make your first deposit to get a 50% Welcome bonus. Again, make an account at Bet Online or use your mobile device. 
make a first deposit. When you do so, use the promo code LOCKED ON to get a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show also brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. On the quest to find the best of the best tasting protein bars. Yes, that's right. Built Bar Madness is continuing. A murderer's row of bars here in the final four. The flavorful four, rather. That is cookies and cream, mint brownie, coconut brownie chunk, and cookie dough chunk. All of them cookie and brownie related. It's obvious. Those are what Built Bar does best. You really can't go wrong with any of these. I myself am really hoping that Mint Brownie makes it all the way to the final, not only because I love it, but also because the reality is these ones are originals. They've been making Mint Brownie since I first heard about, about Bilt Bar, first tried a Bilt Bar, and first tell, to, started telling all of you about Bilt Bar. So we need to get Mint Brownie to the, to the promised land, to glory. And that means you need to cast your vote. So go to BiltBar.com or to at bar underscore built on Twitter. Cast your vote for Mint Brownie, get it through, make it the best of the best tasting protein bars, and remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com, and make sure to check back regularly to see who won the matchup and whether Mint Brownie will indeed become the best of the best tasting protein bar. Closing out the show here with Dwayne Rankin, the Suns beat writer over at the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. Um, getting more out of this James Jones interview, but I mean, even more broadly than that, Dwayne, like we've had two years now with James Jones, Trevor Buckstein, um, Jeff Bauer, Monty Williams, most of those key pieces, the assistant coaching staff has changed a bit. We saw some data guys and some athletic trainer changeover, but for the most part, this thing has been, for about two years now, kind of chugging along. So what have you observed and in your reporting with talking with Jones and just everything else about how this, uh, this organization is really run these days? Well, the, the one thing, obviously those, those two are in constant contact. And so that's, that's, that's one thing. Then you have a situation where you have a coach who likes uh, consistency. You know what I mean? Like, okay, this goes this way, and then we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this. You know, coaches, you know, they say players are creatures that have what coaches are too. And the less, you, you know, you the less friction or the less uh, issues or, or, you know, the fewer of those things, the, you know, the better things are, especially when you're winning. You don't want anything to throw things off. I mean, you know, coach talks about, you know, navigating uncertainty, which they, obviously they've been able to do but you still want an even kid, still want an even part of the situation. But but at the same time, you know, when you when the ex when you start playing better and then the expectations raise, then it becomes okay, this is this let's look at this now, let's look at that now. And then you really start zeroing in on things. And that's where Jones is. He's 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 zeroes in. Okay, well, this about well, right here. We need to you know, address this or right there. We need to address that. And if you're going through the daily, daily grind as a coach, and you're like, you know, we're we're you know, we're, we're okay. You know, we're we're doing we're we're doing good. Whereas the GM is thinking bigger picture in terms of okay, well, this when we play so and so, that could be an issue. We play so and so, 
that can be an issue. Like if you even go back to the draft when he was talking about, you know, Jalen Smith bringing him in, he was talking about how hey, when we match up against you know, the Lakers, they have this size, this size thing. When we match up Denver, size thing. And you just, at the time, it's like, whoa, what are y'all talking about playing Lakers in Denver? But now, fast forward, now you see what he was talking about. So now it's like he's looking at it and going, okay, we're already good enough in terms of being a team that can make the postseason. Now, what are we going to do when we get in there and, and play against teams that are probably going to be more talented or as talented as us? So that's where he is. And I think that that dynamic of James understanding Monty's perspective and then Monty understanding James' role, that is where it works, where they eventually, at the end of the day, you know, come to an understanding. And so as long as that's happening, then their, their synergy is going to be fine because it's based off of a long-standing, you know, knowing each other for a long time. It's not like he hired a G, he hired a coach that he didn't know. So, uh, you know, he, they, they, they have, a, they, they've, they've known each other for years. So that, that helps it all too, but it's an understanding of each other's uh, job. And as long as that's there and they, and they keep it, they keep that understanding, then, you know, the relationship will continue to continue, continue to thrive. It's again, when you start playing better, then you start understanding what needs to be done because they could have easily stayed pat after the bubble because what they had was working and they could have easily did that. But then when you get a GM that's saying, no, you know, we need to do something else. And then you make that move, you know, you're bringing in Chris. Okay, well, that was welcome because Monty had coached Chris. But now, okay, what's going to be the next move? Is that going to be something where Monty understands, okay, look, I, I you know, I got to trust what James is doing, and then James trusting what Monty will do if he has this player or players. So that is where the whole relationship will evolve where it takes the team where they are right now to that next level where you're saying, okay, they're right there with Lakers and the Clippers and now Utah, and they're ready to really, really make a push for a championship. Well, the thing I've always thought about though, those two, and I think you could even group in Chris and, and Devin to an extent as well that I can, try to, to make the argument for here too. But I think the main one is that Monty and James have been in every sort of role in the NBA, right? So James has been a player. I mean, the union stuff, I don't know how much that really matters to what he does now, but he has the, the broad perspective of that. Now he's a general manager. Uh, he, at the end of his career, was probably more of a, you know, a glorified coach a little bit in, in that type of context. At the end of your career, you're not contributing but you're providing more in the locker room and as a, a mind right. and then right. Monty you know he had time in the front office with San Antonio I think people forget that he did that and and had that experience right so I think that having the the different professional roles that they've each had and the long long time they've spent in basketball probably just helps their perspective yes they're relatively young for the positions they're in but 
Uh, they're both lifers when it comes to the NBA. And I think that's where I see where I see Chris being a good part of that, that mind. Um, the, the, the way that the whole thing works is because he, he's not going to be impatient or, you know, not see this for what it is. He knows he's at the end of his career. He knows his contract is big and on and on and on. And so I think, you know, him kind of humbling himself to come here and to form the, you know, re- reform the relationship with Monty and, and play with a guy like Booker, like all of them. I think it's, it's a lot about that sacrifice you were talking about. I think that's why, you know, maybe behind the scenes it has worked so well and so quickly is because there's that ability and perspective that you need to just sit back and, and let it kind of come together and, you know, do the work that it takes to get there. But nobody's here is misunderstanding where they are in the process or what, what it's going to take to move to step three, four, and five of that process. And I mean, I, the way that I see Booker fitting into that is like, this is a guy who saw the worst of what the NBA can be for five years, right? He saw constant turnover. He saw what happens when you're impatient, when you're not professional, when you don't, when you skip steps, which is one of Monty's favorite isms from pop, right? It's like he right. book saw all of what can happen when you don't do that. Right. And so I think that's why he's so appreciative. I mean, that's, you know, all stuff that's not permanent and it's always constantly changing people or people. But to me, that's that when I try to think like, why did Booker stay put and why is he buying in right now? Cause he could be, you know, on some team still, still scoring 30, he could be playing with his buddies and, you know, causing a, a whole riot with everything, but he seems to be on board with what's happening right now too, despite his numbers going down and all that. And it's because I think personally, it's just that he, he gets it. He knows that this is what it takes. And this is sort of the the process that had to play out and they're winning, right? Like you said, everything seems a little bit nicer and shinier when, when the winning is coming, <laughs> but, but I, I guess I'm just leading to the question of, of where you think this thing goes. Like we talked about the roster, we talked about the key pieces and the, the guys at the head of it, but um, what do you think are reasonable expectations now that we're past the halfway point and starting to think about the playoffs? I think these these last few games where they're finding themselves, you know, being challenged, I thought going into the second half and see them like teams gotta got a better beat on who they are. And then you'll see, you'll see games like they've had Charlotte, Toronto, you know, Orlando, even the Miami game, even though, you know, there was, you know, it got out of hand and they like what they, you know, they, they were up huge. I think 23 was the biggest lead. They still, you know, was it was it was a contest. So you're you're going to see, I think, more of these kind of games, where guys are being asked to to do to dig in a little deeper, be able to overcome, you know, more to win games. I mean, just looking at, yeah, I was, you know, you were talking, and I was looking at Jay Crowder. I mean, you know, the, the Charlotte game and. The Toronto game, I mean, he shoots two for 18 from three. Like that, that, that usually that's like disaster. Like, like, like yeah. you know, you got you got one guy that takes 18 threes and only makes two of them. That's usually that usually spells disaster. You know, Devin's shooting 10 of 26 in the last game, but yet they find a way to win the game. So the so you're gonna see the challenges coming in a whole in different ways throughout the rest of the second half of the season. And so now it becomes, okay, 
How do they handle these? They're going to have some losses. There's going to be head scratchers. Going to make you go, what, what, what the hell is that? They're probably going to get some wins in there where you're like, you know what? Okay, they probably should win that game, but it'd be it, it's reach it's going to reach a point where they have to they're going to have to do things out of character because teams are not going to let them do certain stuff. Are going to make that more challenging. You know, I look at, you know, when Aiden goes out the game, it's like a parade to the rim. So how do they what how do they adjust to that? Because you notice now teams, they trying to go at them in the paint. They're, they're like, it's like, you know, they're shooting threes on them, but the Suns, they got perimeter guys that can be out there with you. But now the teams are just just trying to really gut them inside. So how do they adjust to what the, the adjustment that teams are making to them? that's what the playoffs is, right? I mean, you get in the series, okay, you did this game one, we're going to counter in game two. So how they make adjustments throughout the season to where you're not able to do what you are, what you want to do, but yet you still find a way to win the game. And so there's, there lies to me the next step. They're going to have games where they're hot from three and it doesn't matter and they're going to, you know, really have their way with teams. They're going to have those kind of games, but then they're going to have the ones where they're just, they're not shooting it well or the team's not letting them do what they want to do offensively and they're challenging them in a way defensively, guard the ball, keeping God out of the out of the paint. So how do they handle those games? And that to me yeah. is the, the next step. And if they can handle those games better and win their share of those, I think they'll be better prepared come playoff time. And then once playoffs start, then it becomes the matchup. Whoever you're matched up with determines on what determines a lot of how you fare. So, I mean, they, they should, where they're at right now, they should, they should be in that top four come postseason time. And then from there, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I want to see them in these kind of games to figure out how they're going to handle it because those are the kind of games they're going to be in come playoff time to me a lot of the season is building toward this uh, mid to late april road trip right so we got bucks sixers celtics nets knicks with two back-to-backs in there and uh, obviously a lot of travel so those teams are all playoff teams in the east a lot of a couple of those are contenders three contenders in there and it's going to be about that. Uh, I mean, it is the East, so it's not going to be teams that have really seen you a lot, but it will be, um, to me, like probably our last real chance to see because aside from that, they don't have a, a stretch that scares you the rest of the way. They have the Thunder a couple times. They have the Hawks a couple times. They got the Cavs. Like, there's a lot of cushy parts of this thing, but that road trip to me is going to tell us a lot. So um, we'll, we'll definitely have to see how Monty and Aiton and some of these key pieces we've talked about pivot and, and adjust and change and, and get malleable um, stuff. Like, I mean, we're talking about the Charlotte game stuff, like when they put Craig in there, right. And, and had no right. center in there. Like, I'm, I'm, it, I don't know how it worked. It was so, so few possessions. It was only a couple right. moments of the game, but okay. Right. What if that's a thing? You know, what if, what if they, they do get somebody on the buyout market and, and what does that do? You know, what if Cam Johnson, becomes a so so good or or does something for them that he demands a spot in the road in the starting lineup you know maybe cry like it it's those things right it's the small things so we'll have to see 
uh, how that all fares. But thanks for joining us as always, Dwayne. It's always a good time. Hey, no problem, no problem. Appreciate you, appreciate you always having 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 me on. And the only other thing, I just really quickly, when you're talking about the schedule, you see a lot of cushy games. See, I don't see a lot of cushy games because they've shown against bad teams yeah, that's the true. ability to lose. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, like, like I'm looking at I'm looking at the same schedule you're looking at, and I'm going, okay, they already lost to Oklahoma City. Uh, they struggled in a game against Houston. They already lost to Washington. They've lost to Sacramento. So it's like, I'm looking at the, the, some of the schedule and going, I, I don't know if that's a, you know, that those aren't easy, that those aren't easy games because again, the teams have now seen what they are. And because you didn't change up the team, now they, they okay, they, they got a better bead on what you are as a, as, a, as a group, whereas some of these other teams had injuries, you know, they had guys out. So we weren't seeing the fullness of their roster. And then they run into a team that now has finally pieced it together. And so how they adjust, to me, is going to be huge. And I think with that roster, you know, with Jay Crowder, you know, having him now starting, you know, that looks like the Frank experiment is, is done. I, I'm curious when they play a bigger team, whether they go back to Kaminsky starting and then having Jake Crowder come off the bench. But it looks like they, they're, they're back to that that starting lineup. But again, it's, it's, it's about adjustments and how they adjust to who they're playing and the style that they make, you know, that, that they force the Suns to play in you know how they work that to me is significant going going down a stretch because that's going to determine wins and losses and and, and again they want to be in a situation where you know they're getting home court and and the fact that and one last thing the fact that Devin Book I hadn't heard it I hadn't heard him say it a lot but he was but he made a comment the other day where he was talking about how we finish the season and how we play in the postseason I was like so their mind is is there. It's already there postseason. And so between now and then, what they do and how they adjust will determine for me how they end up doing once they get to the postseason. It's all good stuff. You can listen uh, to our show tomorrow, folks, with Jackson Frank with more on how the Suns stack up as a contender in the league, we'll get a little more X's and O's, a little more nerdy as we like to do when Jackson comes on. You can follow Dwayne's work at the Arizona Republic at AZ Central, and he is at Dwayne Rankin on Twitter. And enjoy your Thursday, folks. We'll be back tomorrow.